in Nehemiah chapter 1. The last song we sang is so true, isn't it? None of us know the future, but we can trust one who does. That's the main thing, isn't it? Now, Nehemiah is an amazing book. If you get time, read the whole story. It is amazing. We're just going to read the first part. Nehemiah chapter 1. If I get these names wrong, please forgive me. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And there's this amazing prayer of Nehemiah. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was the king's cupbearer. Now Nehemiah was going to go into the king who was his boss and ask him for time off. That's why he prayed. It's never easy asking a boss for time off, is it? It's good to pray first. Let's just read what happened. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine... And gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me. Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad. When the city where my fathers are buried. Lies in ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me. What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, then let him, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to set me 
So I set a time. That's all right, isn't it? You go and ask for some time. Obviously, how long do you want? <laughs> that can't be bad, can it? Now, in our, our uh, New Testament reading is in Luke 24. And I want you, uh, especially the younger ones, maybe try and get the connection. There, there are people that are sad in these stories. Find out what they're sad about. What do you think they were sad about? Because there is a connection. So our, it's in Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. A very well-known story. And I'm not allowed to forget this because within this story is my wedding verse when I married Ruth. Or when Ruth and I got married. So I'm not allowed to, uh, to forget the verse. It's a lovely verse. It's a, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were going from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus. It's about seven miles uh, in, in distance. Now that same day, two of them, verse 13, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. And this is the verse we had at our wedding. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcast. They were sad. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, the only, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. Him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And begin with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What a Bible study that must have been. I'd love to have been there. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I bet that seven miles took less than what it took to get there. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened, to, uh, how happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we pray that your blessing 
will be upon your word tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can rely on it in these days when so many things we cannot rely on. But we can rely on your word. And we pray that you'll open your word to us tonight. That my words won't be remembered. But that the things that you want to impress on our hearts will be. We ask this in your name. And for your glory. Amen. Amen. I, I don't know about you. But have you ever misjudged anybody. With first impressions of them. I guess we all have. And we see somebody and we look at them and we think, oh my goodness. Ruth and I went on holiday a few years ago and we went to Jersey, the island of Jersey. And we decided to go and visit the World War II underground hospital that the Germans built uh, when they were occupying uh, the Channel Islands. And uh, we got on the vintage bus, uh, we did the whole package, we got on the vintage bus and you get on the vintage bus and there's a tape recording playing, which gives you all the history of the German World War II hospital, the underground hospital, before you get there. So we got on this bus, and there was this, I'll call him a dear old gentleman now, but at the time, this old gentleman was taking the fares and driving. And he didn't look up, he looked completely miserable and completely sad. And I gave him the money, he just gave me the ticket, he hardly spoke. I got back to my seat and I judged him. Terrible. I said to Ruth, he's in the wrong job, he's a bit miserable. He hardly spoke to me. Anyway, we went to the underground hospital and we went round. Very interesting. If you ever go there, please go there. Uh, it's, it's an interesting visit. And uh, we got, or I got back to the coach about 20 minutes uh, early. And this dear old, this gentleman, this driver, who took my fare and was looking really miserable... He was smoking his pipe, pacing up and down by the coach. So me being me, I said, I'll go and have a chat with him. So off I went, and we started chatting. And uh, he was telling me about his family in the war. They were farmers. And because they were farmers, they didn't want... They, the, the, the islanders had two choices. They could stay on the island under German occupation, or they could come to the mainland, come to England, and, and be protected. Because they were farmers, they didn't want to leave the land uh, for the Germans to take over, so they opted to stay there. And he was telling me about his family. And then he, he told me that there were three things that kept the island going in the war. There was the, uh, the, 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 uh, the cattle, the Jersey cattle, we've all heard of Jersey cattle with the cream. Jersey potatoes, I guess a lot of you have heard about Jersey potatoes. They're very nice too. And then he said something, and it, this is incredible. He said, cider. And so I said to him, well, I come, from, uh, I come from the cider county in England. I come from Somerset. So, you know, I didn't, but I didn't realise that cider was produced in Jersey. He said, oh, yeah. He said, don't forget we're in Jersey. He said, what part of Somerset do you come from? And I said, well, I lived in Wells. Oh, I know it, he said. I said, how do you know it? He said... Well, I used to work for showerings of Shepton Mallet. I said, okay, I remember them. And I said, when I was a lad as a baker, uh, I helped the baker to do the rounds, delivering bread. I used to go to showerings in Ashleen and, and deliver bread. He said, I know it. I said, how do you know it? He said, I used to look after their horses in, in Ashleen in Wells. We ended up laughing together. I mean, it was so incredible 
that, that you know, these coincidences just over a, a, a casual conversation. And I went back to Ruth and I said, yeah, that guy's a good guy. <laughs> so we do, we have a misconception, don't we, of people when we meet them, first of all. And I've learned since then not to judge anyone. They might be sad for a very serious reason and we're not to judge even if they look miserable because they've all got problems, circumstances that we don't know about. But it was an interesting conversation, but it really taught me a lesson that day, not to, to, not to prejudge people just on our first, uh, first meeting. Now, that's the introduction to Nehemiah. Now, you might be saying, whatever has that got to do with Nehemiah? Well, see, Nehemiah, he was a king's cupbearer. And so he had quite a nice job, really, because he would be tasting the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So he, he should be happy. And when Nehemiah went into the king, the king said to him, you've never been sad before. You know, the king knew Nehemiah as a happy-go-lucky guy. And that's how he knew him. That's how he judged him. And then when he was sad, he didn't know why. So, can anybody tell me the connection between the, the reading in Nehemiah and the reading in, in, in Luke? They were both sad about something, but there was something in common with Nehemiah and with the disciples. Anybody stab a guess? No, okay, puzzle face. I'm not putting it very clearly. They were both upset and sad about events that had happened in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was really upset about the condition of the exiles in Jerusalem. The disciples... They were upset about the events that had happened in Jerusalem, about a Messiah who had come and he'd been crucified. And it had dashed all their hopes in him. They thought he was the one, the true Messiah, to come and redeem Israel and to put, the, put things right. And they were very, very sad. And so as Nehemiah goes into the king, uh, he brought the wine as normal, but he wasn't his usual self. I bet you and I have days like that, don't we? We're not our usual selves. Ruth says to me sometimes, you all right? Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes we have off days. This was an off day for Nehemiah. And so the king asked him questions. Why are you so sad today? This is not like you. This isn't you. What's up? And then uh, Nehemiah uh, explains that the exiles, this is a Babylon, Babylonian exile, there were some People left in Jerusalem and they were in a bad way. And Jerusalem was in a bad way. The walls had broken down and, and they were uh, in, a, in a bad state. The city where my fathers are buried, in, it lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And he asked the king for some time off from work. Read the whole story. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He surveys it and then he gets recruits, some helpers. And they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you might think, well, why was Nehemiah so, so concerned about a heap of rubble like Jerusalem? The walls, it was in ruins. Why was he so concerned about it? Well, Nehemiah knew that Jerusalem, and we read this time and time again in the Old Testament, it was the place that God had chosen for a dwelling place for his name forever. There's only one holy city on this earth, and that is Jerusalem, where God has placed his name. Look at verse uh, 9 in, in Nehemiah 1. 
I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And that's, there, there are a lot, a lot more references. We haven't got time now to go in and look at them. But God, God's name is on Jerusalem. Have you ever wondered why there's so much controversy over that city in the Middle East, in Israel, Jerusalem? There's controversy over it today. Whose is it? Who should be living there? And so on. When it was the same in Nehemiah's day. When Nehemiah started rebuilding the walls, there was opposition to the rebuilding. And there's opposition today to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and making it an Israel, uh, a Jewish uh, capital. You know what I'm talking about. It's on the news. Nehemiah was concerned about Jerusalem and he went back and God gave him success. The things that he was worried about, God gave him, he prayed and God gave him success. Now I don't know, there's obviously things that we all are sad about tonight. As we look at the, uh, the news and we see the things that are going on uh, in the Middle East and Ukraine and Iran and, uh, and even things in our own country. You know, to think that the last week or so we've heard of a little girl who's been shot dead in Liverpool. I mean, these things make us sad. I'm sure they do. On a personal level, you may have things in your own family that make you sad. I was talking to someone in our fellowship this morning. I didn't mean to make her cry, but she was weeping about her son who'd gone away from the Lord. There are things that make us sad. We must bring these things to God in prayer. So what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. And did you see how he prayed? Did you see that prayer? It's an amazing prayer. You know, we often go into prayer and ask God for things straight away, don't we? Nehemiah, first of all, he confessed the sins of his people and the sins of his own family. And you know, if we are concerned about our country and our nation, the first thing we must do when we approach God about it is to confess the sin of our nation and of our own individual lives as well. O Lord God of heaven, the great verse 5, and so on, let your ear be attentive. I confess, verse 6, the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. You know, I used to think repentance was a one-off thing. You know, you repent of your sin, you, you ask God for forgiveness, and then everything's fine. You're never going to go wrong again. Well, that's what I thought when I was 14 years of age and I got baptised. And I thought, that's it now. I'm a Christian and I'm never going to do anything wrong again. How wrong I was. And when I look at the scriptures and, and look through the Old Testament in particular, how God dealt with Israel, when time and time again they turned away from him. And time and time again God judged them, but he brought them back. There was always hope. There was always forgiveness, always mercy. And you know, we have to cry out to God for mercy on our land, on our nation, and upon our own personal uh, walk with God as well. So often we let him down. I know that I do, talking from personal experience. So Nehemiah confesses the sin of his nation and of his family. And then he reminds God about God's word, verses 8 to 10. He said, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. It's a bit cheeky, isn't it? Reminding God of what he's already said. 
He said, do, do you remember what he said to Moses? He said, you will scatter them among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Jeremiah reminds God about God's word and what he said in the past. And he, he tells him, that, you know, God, you said you're going to bring them back. And Jeremiah 31 is one of my favourite chapters in, in, in the whole of the Old Testament. And God says there, even though I scatter them, I'm going to bring them back. In our, in our generation, we have seen God's word being fulfilled. And God is bringing his people back to Israel and to Jerusalem. Even the uh, events in, recent events in Ukraine has caused a lot of Jewish people to come back to Israel. God's word is being fulfilled in our generation. The psalmist said, God's purposes and plans stand firm through all generations. And that includes ours. God is on the throne. He's in control. He's fulfilling his word. Does that encourage you? It does me. So Nehemiah reminds God about his word. And it's not cheeky to do that, but it's because he's reminding himself as well. We have to remind ourselves about God's word and what he said and what he's going to do and have faith in it. So Nehemiah, then, then Nehemiah asked God for something. And he asked, give, me success, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. It was like an afterthought. You know, so often all our requests to God are the main thing. But Nehemiah's request was just like an afterthought. Oh, help, help me before the king today when I'm asking for some time off. Absolutely brilliant prayer. But please read through Nehemiah. Get the whole story. Get the whole picture. It's an amazing story. Let's go to our story in, in, in uh, Luke 24. Again, a lovely story. And uh, read the whole account. When we were doing the story of the lost coin, it was quite amazing really because... Just before that, just before that, Jesus code that story about the lost coin. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus was concerned about Jerusalem too. And these two, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were talking about the events that had happened, the crucifixion of Jesus. This person that they'd left everything for. And they were following him. And it's like he'd let them down. And, and, and their hopes were dashed. And they were discussing these things together. And Jesus came along and walked with them. Do you ever have time in, times in your life when you think that God has forgotten? Or God is asleep? Or he's got his hands off the wheel? In your personal lives and in, 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 uh, the, the global, in a global sense. Seems like things are getting out of control. In so many aspects, um, from a personal point of view, sometimes, and from a, a world point of view. Where is it all going to end? Hasn't God got control anymore? What is going on? Anyway, they talked and they were discussing, and their faces were downcast. They were sad. And Jesus comes along, and he says, what are, what are you talking about? He knew what they were talking about, but he just asked them. What are you talking about? I think sometimes, you know, we, we have to let God know what we're concerned about. He knows what we're concerned about. He knows our hearts. But he wants us to go and talk with him. That's what prayer is, isn't it? 
It's not a one-way thing. He wants us to tell him what is on our hearts and what concerns us. And Jesus, then they talked with him. So he said, what things? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. When you read the the gospel accounts very carefully, some some of the uh, accusations against uh, the Jews is that they crucified Jesus. And this was a, a very strong factor that uh, helped fuel the Holocaust. Hitler said in Mein Kampf, he said, let us rid the earth of these Jews, killers of our beloved Christ. If you read the Gospels carefully, you'll find that it wasn't just the Jewish people that were concerned with the death of Jesus. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they handed him over, but it was the Romans, the Gentiles, that put him to death. It was the Romans that mocked him. It was the Romans that drove those nails into his hands and into his feet. So we're all guilty, if you like, of the death of Jesus. And Jesus died for the world anyway. Jesus died for us all. So we're all in the same boat. So they they just told Jesus what had happened. And that this prophet, this prophet, this, this Messiah had let them down. He was dead. And uh, then Jesus opens up the scriptures to him, to them. And uh, they have an amazing, an amazing Bible study. I'd love to have been there. He said, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And of course, when Jesus was speaking, he didn't have the New Testament to turn to because it wasn't written. He just went into the Old Testament. Let us never, ever downgrade the Old Testament. Please. It's the Word of God. It's as important as the New Testament. People say to me, why don't the Jews, as a general, see that Jesus is the Messiah? It's so plain. But they don't read the New Testament. They haven't got it. All they've got is the Old Testament. What we've got to pray for is that when they read their portions of Scripture... On the Shabbat, on Shabbat and on the festivals, that, that God will reveal himself and the Lord Jesus to them. And this has actually happen, happening. There are Jewish people today who are having visions, who are, uh, who are reading Isaiah 53, for example, and beginning to realise that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. There's a, an organisation called One for Israel, and, and they are... Uh, messianic fellowships who are reaching out in Israel today there are amazing things happening in Israel and in the Middle East generally that we don't generally hear about we just hear about the bad news but God is working his purposes and his plans out in the Middle East and so Jesus explains to them that this had to happen in Jerusalem you see Jesus he died in Jerusalem He was buried in Jerusalem. He rose again in Jerusalem. He ascended from Jerusalem. And one day, maybe very soon, guess where he's coming back? He's coming back to Jerusalem. That city will be here at the end of this age. 
It will be the it will be there. It's a rock. Immovable rock, God describes it in Zechariah. Those who try and remove it, he said, they won't. They get a hernia. <laughs> they get a strain. It's an immovable rock. Jerusalem is there. Jesus was concerned over Jerusalem. He worshipped there. He went to the temple. He was concerned about the temple. He said, you've made the temple into a, a den of robbers. It should be a house of prayer. God was concerned about that city. And Jesus is coming back. God is going to send Jesus back to that city. No wonder the scriptures say to us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know, when we, um, our time is going, I'll, I'll finish with this. When we look at the scriptures, and I, I, I'll just ask, ask uh, this of you uh, tonight, when you read the scriptures, read it as though it's God's word. Read it as though, you know, it is what God is saying. And I, I remember, I never used to read the Bible like that for a long time. I just used to think the, the Old Testament was a dry old history book. And then one day I thought, no, it's not. It's the word of God. And it, God's word is being fulfilled in our day and generation, including passages from the Old Testament. And you know, Jesus died on the cross at Jerusalem. He suffered and bled and died in a, uh, outside a city wall. And I guess that you all know this, but I just will repeat it tonight. He died for you and he died for me. And the offer of salvation, the offer of belie believing in him is still open to you tonight. He bled and he died upon the cross so that your sin and my sin, the sins that Nehemiah was confessing, all the disappointments that the disciples were expressing, Jesus died for that. He died for all the disappointments in your life. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He rose again for you and for me. We don't worship a saviour who is dead. We don't stay where those disciples were in a sad state. We know that he's alive today, interceding on our behalf when we pray. We don't know how to pray sometimes, do we? We just don't know how to pray about certain circumstances. So we ask God for the Holy Spirit to, to intercede on our behalf. And Jesus is there interceding on our behalf. I just pray that these thoughts will be a blessing uh, to you this evening. And thank you for listening. Amen.